Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Minisode 146 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, hooray! Hello, somebody's got a spring in their step this morning. You bet I do, Mitch, you bet I do, and I'll get to the reasons for that. (laughs) Uh, How has your week been? It's been okay, broadly, but I've had some issues with my mobile phone provider, as I'm sure you're aware. Yes, you have been slightly harder to contact this week than usual. Well, I'm happy to tell you that as of this morning, I have received a resolution to my complaint. My complaint has been upheld. My provider, I'm not going to name them, but it's O2, have... (laughs) agreed that it was their fault and they have offered me some compensation i'm technically now back in service although i also do have a new handset coming because that was like their last ditch attempt to try and fix it everything's sorted i'm back i'm back baby a victory for the consumer that's it yes yes this is like watchdog (laughs) yes new section um (laughs) aside from uh scoring huge wins over large faceless corporations how Mm. has your week been in terms of viewing it's been okay i I, i've got something i do want to talk about in a minute something i'll boil into and somewhat reasonable depth but uh, a couple of weeks ago you talked about the strangers brian bertino's the strangers i feel like it was around about the time that we that we watched the dark and the wicked yeah yeah uh certainly this side of the new year definitely i watched the strangers mm. for the first time and yeah i thought it was pretty good yeah well i, I picked up the second sight blu-ray release that came out just uh, a few months ago and I, the strange i remember the strangers being uh, it was fine it was fine but i revisited it last night and actually i, I think the strangers is brilliant really great totally forgot that glenn howerton from it's always sunny in philadelphia is in it as the the pal who dies it's funny when you revisit something like this far after the fact and then you see somebody that's gotten famous in the interim kind of lurking around in a minor role but yeah yeah there he was yeah there he was yeah brilliant um and it's made me want to revisit the strangers pray at night which i've only seen one time when it kind of roundabout when it came out i recall that not being as good uh yeah i can't really hack that film but by all means revisit it and let me know what you think <laughs> well i'm yeah. going to revisit it now that i've watched now that the strangers is kind of fresh in my mind again yeah there's no better time i don't suppose no no absolutely not so yeah i, I kind of partly blame you for me picking this up in the first place because since you've mentioned it it's kind of been floating around in there so thank you for that because i did get a lot more out of strangers watching it again ah excellent stuff okay i'll take responsibility for that but not for your subsequent watch of the strangers pray at night okay thank you that's fine Mm. the next thing i want to talk about is godzilla versus kong ah now i did wonder if you would get in on this uh on this uh pvod action for this one see i didn't even know that it was coming to these kind of rent at home platforms because you can rent it on amazon you can rent it on sky store presumably there's other places i, I didn't know that that was happening I-, I assumed it was like a timed release on hbo max and then mm-hmm. it would drop on kind of uk streaming platforms and stuff like that or uh, kind of video on demand things so i didn't even know it was actually Keen o'brien messaged me on twitter um, mm-hmm. slid in at my DMs to ask if I had plans of watching Godzilla this weekend and um, I, I've, I've actually got, have got quite a busy weekend all happening all around recording and other stuff but as it happened on Friday night I had a couple of hours free 
And uh, yeah, I hopped onto Sky Store and I checked it out. And uh, I've got some thoughts. Yeah, okay. Again, I still feel like Godzilla films, I mean, ultimately nobody cares about the human aspect of them, right? In fact, I would say that this film is entirely Kong's story. Godzilla is secondary to okay. Kong. Kong is by far and away the main character. He is an action hero to the point that he pulls off things that you, like, there are scenes that are left or moments that are lifted directly from action movies like Die Hard. Uh, there's a moment that is lifted exactly from Lethal Weapon. Uh, it's <laughs> quite funny in that regard, but it's entirely, Kong is the heart of this story. No, everyone knows Godzilla's incredible and massive and powerful and he's the man. Kong's sad, he's the last of his race. He's just trying to get by and trying to live. But in this one, they've given him the Amy, good gorilla, sign language abilities. Right, okay. So he's got an element of communication with humans, which adds a whole other dimension to how tragic and sad Kong is. But the human stuff, again, I could do without it. Like, I really okay. could. Like, the human cast in this are absolutely fine. Uh, although Damien Bashir is just like, he is playing the most mustache twirling villain. I think it's possible to be short of like taking Godzilla and tying him to train tracks. <laughs> like that's the kind of level of Machiavellian villainy that we're dealing with here. Um, but yeah, they're fine, but I could do without it. All I want to see is big monsters fighting and there's a lot of that in this, fortunately. I'm a big fan of Godzilla, everyone knows that. Man. Most of my back is Godzilla until mm-hmm. there's like a big Godzilla tattoo. But like, I found that the, the first two of these Warner Brothers legendary films, particularly the very, very first one, uh, the Aaron Taylor-Johnson one, they're so dour. They're incredibly straight-faced and serious. That's the only one that I've seen I thought was awfully, uh, like, serious-faced. Kind of quite dry. Yeah, very dry, a lot of focus on the humans, and very little kind of monster action. King of the Monsters is a little bit lighter than that, but what Wingard's done here is actually he's made a film that's incredibly fun. Well, I mean, he does have a history of doing that. Yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's got more in common tonally with like the 1962 Godzilla vs. Kong, although not quite as goofy as that, because that's right, okay. it's, it's incredibly silly. But it, it has more fun. It allows itself to have more fun with the characters. And even the human characters, they get a, there's a lot more kind of comedy beats from them. So it's more fun in that. Again... Anytime Kong's not on screen, I feel like there's a kind of lack of heart. Okay. This sounds like, this sounds like a mixed bag, but kind of like largely good, from what I can tell. Yeah, I, I had a good time watching it. It's probably my favourite of these kind of three new Monsterverse Godzilla films. Uh, although I still think that, and I'm probably opening myself up to some hate from people like Kian and film fan <laughs> Stevie, but uh, I still think that Kong Skull Island is better than both of those previous Godzilla films. Right, okay. My curiosity is probably more piqued by Kong Skull Island than any of these, because, you know, this is kind of, like, less my field than yours. Sure. Um, and uh, that's partially because I think that the guy who made it also made The Kings of Summer. Yeah. Uh, which I, I, I'm kind of curious about how somebody gets from that film to that one. Well, I mean, you could say the same about Adam Wingard. You could look at his career trajectory uh, to go from things like Tiny Little Indy is like a horrible way to die. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot more films in between. Like, that was a more traceable upscale, oh, I, I would guess. say. I suppose, yeah, um, I But yeah, I, I also think it's cool that, I mean, like, Adam Wingard, I mean, like, I, I've liked his films and loved a lot of them for a long time. Sure. And yeah. I hear that, like, I think that like, this coming out came along with some news that he's going to be directing Thundercats as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, hot in the heels of us talking about Mumra last week. Indeed, yeah, yeah, almost like we knew. Almost as if we knew, and we did it. 
<laughs> we are not, that we yeah. had no clue. Yeah, we are not privy to boardroom discussions at Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna surprise uh, you here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely recommend it. Like it's it's a lot of fun. It looks amazing. Like it's all you you know like uh, towards the end of the guest when everything's just like bashed with color and everything's like hyper realistic and a mad neon nightmare. Yeah, that's what this film is from start to finish, and it's all the better for it. Uh, and like I say, the fact that he's he's allowed, or he's been allowed, presumably, to have some fun with it rather than just be intensely focused on military procedures, and uh, I think it works to the film's advantage. And do you know what? Godzilla's still the king, but it's hard not to love Kong. Okay, it really is. I'm very glad to hear that this went down well. I think that like when something like this comes out, I always kind of hope it goes over for the people who really love it. Yeah. Or the people who are kind of like really invested in it. I kind of felt the same when the Star Wars sequels came out and things like that. Even if they aren't for me, I kind of just want to hear them be successful and hear that they are good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would rather pay sixteen ninety nine to watch Godzilla vs. Kong at home than I would to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? Yeah, I don't have a problem paying what I would pay to go to the cinema to sit in my pants. If I could go to the cinema and sit in my pants, then we might have something there. <laughs> then we might be talking. <laughs> um, I have a few things this week, um, so I'm going to shoot through a couple of them and then kind of dwell more on the newer releases. Okay. But I uh, just want to mention a couple that I caught up with this week and kind of echo your opinions on them when you spoke about them. Oh, right, okay. Uh, Annabelle Comes Home being the first one. Right, okay. Which I watched kind of just for the sake of rounding off that, really. Uh-huh. Because for as much as I've spoken about my kind of like varying levels of disdain for the one of so I was like, well, there's only, I think that I've only got one left to watch, so I might as well watch it. Yep. So I did, and I think I remember you saying that it was considerably better than the other two Annabelles and kind of this like quite effective, self-contained kind of haunted house story. I'd go further than that. I would say that aside from the Conjuring films, it's comfortably the best film in the one That's potentially true. Actually, uh, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought the um, I thought the kid actors in it were great. Mm-hmm. Absolute grab bag of demons towards the end. But it's a good laugh. <laughs> I'll tell you what wasn't a good laugh, but was also great. Uh, Amy Simetz says she dies tomorrow. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I also enjoyed this. This is this is good, man. Like this is such a weird little film. Yeah. Um. So this just landed on Netflix last week, as anyone who heard our streaming platforms announcement last week will know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real slow burner. Uh. Where you have um a woman who is convinced that she is gonna die tomorrow and kind of infects other people, if you like, with that thought process and kind mm-hmm. of puts them into these existential downward spirals. Yeah. Yeah. This was a real bummer, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a bummer. In terms of just hopping around looking for things to catch up on, I watched Hooked Up. Right, what's this? Uh, this is an Amazon Prime uh, from 2015. It's directed by Pablo Lacruen and is um, exec produced by Tom Colette Serra, the director of Orphan. Oh, of course. Right, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't like this at all. Um, <laughs> it is a found footage film about two incredibly unlikable guys who go to Barcelona on a holiday after one of them's girlfriend breaks up with them. Right, sure. Like, just like two guys who are just like grotesquely unlikable from the word go. Like, you know that thing where it's like it's kind of partially because they're just kind of like horrendous, relentless dude bros. But also kind of that thing where being kind of predatorial is passed off as being a womanizer. Yeah, yeah. By the way, on a similar thing, just did you see uh, past guest Chris Thorburn's video this week? Uh, yes, about this exact thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, absolutely hilarious. Yeah, if anyone hasn't seen it, if you go out and look for it, what was it called? Is it? Uh, it's uh, well, you can find it. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at CB Thorburn, and the video is just called "Watching a Movie from 2004," and it is uh, about a fictional film called uh, Sex Times at Spring Break High." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and it's basically about films aging poorly, and it's really, really funny. But yeah, yeah um, uh, hooked up. 
so you have these two horrendous guys who fall into it with these two women who are like oh come back to um my grandfather's house it is abandoned we can go there to have sex obviously this does not transpire never does not really no so what you have after this is something that is inexplicably still being shot um <laughs> and as this turns into a kind of demon story any notion a plot kind of evaporates and the entire second half of it is a lot of people falling down and a lot of the same people screaming oh dear and kind of like generic sort of demonic imagery like loads of photos of a dead girl on a counter surrounded by candles and floral things sure and yeah. stuff like that yeah. I know uh, it's all it's it's very it's very like, actually really really poor I don't, I don't like it at all i also took a wee jump back to after watching cabin fever last week i was kind of looking to see if there was anything eli roth wise that i hadn't seen yet right because i'm just kind of like filling knowledge gaps kind of constantly at the moment so I think I've seen all the stuff that he's directed now, but what I haven't seen is uh, some of the kind of like chili wood stuff that he produced. Oh, like Aftershock and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so I saw Aftershock. But yeah, like when he kind of fell in tow with like Nicholas Lopez and all those kinds yeah, of people yeah. for quite a while. Um, and one of the ones I hadn't seen that I've been meaning to get to for a while was uh, The Stranger. Right, okay. I don't know anything about this either, I don't think. Okay, so this is uh, directed by Guillermo Amuedo, but it is a oh. Eli Roth Presents <laughs> job here. Um, so what you have here is um, a guy who returns to an American kind of small town to find his wife. His wife's dead, so he doesn't find her. But uh, yeah, he arrives and basically his arrival sets into motion this uh, horrendous violent chain of events. Right. I thought that this had the potential to be quite interesting because it looked near the start like that guy was going to show up and just immediately get beaten to death. <laughs> and what I was and what I was hoping was that it would be like this thing that kind of like you know how it's like oh this one guy making this decision that comes to to come to this town sets into motion this wider chain of events that you just see it affecting this wider and wider net of people when he just turned up and died straight away and it was more just kind of like a catalyst thing. It's not that as it turns out he survives. And uh, what you get is like a reasonably violent and kind of okay plotted, effectively kind of like a TV melodrama. Right. Which I kind of, I went from being kind of curious about and I had it in my head what road it was on. When it didn't do that, it went down a far less interesting road and I kind of, I was just about stuck with it till the end. Oh, right, okay. But very dry. Festival Blind Spot this week caught up with the Black String from Brian Hansen. Uh, Frankie Muniz. Frankie Muniz, yeah, who is pretty good in this, actually. Um, he uh, plays a guy who's like this kind of nervous gas station clerk who's kind of like very socially awkward. And uh, he effectively meets up with uh, a girl from an escort service. And it's kind of alluded to that they have sex. You don't see it. Well, they do. But like uh, you kind of just, it cuts to the kind of straight to the morning after. After this encounter, his life starts to unravel like, really dramatically in a number of different ways. He starts to wonder if something's happened to him. Right. Uh, and it's kind of like, is this happening? Is he crazy kind of thing? This fancies itself as being like a little bit kind of Lynchian, I think. <laughs> okay. Um and it's okay. It's it's not bad. It's a little bit of a kind of like day two, 11 in the morning Fright Fest type shout, which I think is almost exactly what yeah, it was. That's what actually. I was say. I'm <laughs> sure that's what it was. Yeah, we're like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's some good ideas here that aren't kind of like particularly well realized. Uh-huh. But it's um, a feature debut and there's enough going on for it to be like, yeah, okay, I'll probably kind of look in on what that guy does next. That is on Sky Cinema, The Black Street. Okay. If anybody wants to go and take a look at that. But now the newer stuff that I looked at this week. Jesus um, Christ. I know, I know. I'm non-stop right now. Um, Antebellum. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I'll just tell you right now, as far as I know, this isn't very good. So, well, Antebellum landed on Sky Cinema this week. This is a Lionsgate film that's been acquired as a Sky original. Right. Like, that comes up at the start. 
Sure. Now, this is billed as being from the producers of Get Out. Right, okay. It has one producer in common with that film. There are seven producers on this film. Okay. This is directed by Gerard Bush and Christoph Rentz, and it is not nearly as good as Get Out. <laughs> um, and it hasn't got nearly as much to say as Get Out. Well, that's kind of a high watermark, really. Yeah. It is a high watermark, but I kind of feel like if you're going to like piggyback so tenuously on the success of something else. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but yeah like uh, so what you have here is so it opens quite effectively actually on what appears to be like a slave plantation right this is all kind of done like it's like it's like a nice technical feat the opening it's like this one unbroken shot that starts with this like facade of this very fancy country mansion and then it goes kind of through there and out and then into kind of the slave quarters and you see how they live and then it gets into the kind of actual horrors of that and it culminates with somebody trying to escape and being shot right sure now a lot of the first act and in fact the kind of first half of this is just kind of like unflinching depictions of the horrors of slavery right like okay. you see people getting very intensely mistreated in a lot of different ways and again kind of like if you find that kind of content like kind of sexual violence content and things like that distressing then think hard about whether or not you want to watch this but basically we have this woman who is there called eden right. she's like taken there and named eden and um she's kind of like the main character of sorts although to be honest with you one of my problems with this is that of the kind of slave characters in this like they're very very thinly developed they kind of just feel like bodies on which to visit the trauma of the po- of the kind of surroundings and not much else which i think is kind of I, I, which i don't care for sure what happens though is around about the midway point the character of eden we, we kind of rejoin the present day and uh, obviously the same woman it's a uh, janelle Monet, right yeah uh wakens up and she is an author uh, a successful author um a kind of an activist as well uh called veronica henley so obviously it's supposed to be a bit of a kind of like wait what moment right which it kind of is where this ends up going, uh, and I don't want to dig in too far to that, I think is like, and there are far more interesting and relevant perspectives than mine on this one. Sure. But, but my take very quickly is that I think that where this goes completely undercuts what it's trying to do or what it thinks it's trying to do in the first half. I think that when you're still making films on these kinds of subjects, you have to do more, you have to have something to say. Right. And these kind of like incredibly unpleasant sequences have to be backed by something more than just showing you something unpleasant for the hell of it. I'm not convinced that Antebellum ever really manages to do that. Right, okay. And I think that the revelations here feel kind of really cheap. Oh, right, okay. And yeah, I didn't care for this really at all, to be honest. It's uh, it's it's on Sky Cinema in the UK if anybody wants to go and take a look at it. Um, and I would be very curious to know what other people think about it as yeah, well. I've, I've heard a lot of bad shit about it. Like, I haven't really heard a, a voice standing up in kind of support of it at all. There's a lack of substance or kind of social conscience behind what it's trying to do or what it depicts, I guess. Um, the only other thing that I looked at this week, and I did say I would do this every week, was uh, season two, episode one of Creepshow <laughs> on, uh, on Shudder. Um, so uh, Creepshow is back. Now, I uh, did week-by-week episode reviews of Creepshow last year. I intend to do that this year as well if I can. Mm-hmm. It was a mixed bag last time, to say the least of it. Yeah. But there was enough going on that I decided I would keep going. And it's been renewed for a third season, so I'll no doubt do it then as well. But yeah, we're back with two new segments on uh, this episode dropped in Shudder on Thursday. Uh, they're both directed by Greg Nicotero. Right. He uh, passes the torch on for episode two, which we'll get to later on. But uh, we've got two segments here, uh, including Model Kid, which is about a kind of stereotypical weird kid that really likes like Dracula and universal monsters and stuff like that. His mom dies. He's in the care of his uncle and his partner. The uncle is uh, Kevin Dillon from The Blob. 
Oh yeah. This is all right. Um, obviously, like he, he doesn't understand why this kid is into all this weird stuff, and he gets increasingly annoyed about the fact that he doesn't like conventional, normal, all American things, and then he just gets progressively more mad about that, and it becomes a kind of fairly bog standard, cartoonishly villainous character gets his comeuppance. Right. Okay. Type way. This is like reasonably fun. It's all right. I'm kind of starting to understand what the tone is for this and it's all supposed to be a little bit hyper-realistic and a little bit cartoonish. So when mannerisms and characters being a little bit more villainous are kind of exaggerated, I understand that that's the point. See, I appreciate that more because it's more in fitting with, I guess, the tone of the original films and the tone of those kind of old school horror comics, like the EC comics, Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that, like, and you know what, maybe, like, maybe part of the reason that I didn't take to the first series that quickly is because it took me a while to kind of, like, acclimatise to that. Right, okay. And yeah, this this, this was alright. I, I still think that the kind of, like, the wraparound feels like a little bit of an afterthought. Sure. But um, I think that that feels like less of an issue when the other content kind of matches it. Okay. Or kind of gets closer to the tone that I associate with Creepshow. Um, the second segment is called Public Television of the Dead, also directed by Greg Nicotero and starring Ted Raimi. Ah, there you go. There's your badge of, <laughs> of quality there. He's playing himself, weirdly. Um, oh. But it's like it's a public access TV station um, where we have this horrendous producer woman uh, character also, this kind of Bob Ross surrogate. Right. Really well done. I think I think he's called Norm Roberts. Right. And there's obviously a, like a show on it that's supposed to be the Antiques Roadshow. It's called something like The Appraiser's Tour or something. <laughs> right. And Ted Raimi is playing himself. And the thing that he's brought on to be appraised is the Necronomicon. Right. Okay. Uh, so obviously the uh, presenter guy doesn't take this very seriously, reads an incantation, and then basically it turns into a, like, I, I was going to say an Evil Dead homage. It's basically the evil dead in a tv station is this kind of cool i think like very silly very over the top as it's obviously as it would be yeah you would expect but like you know if anybody's gonna do this um and do it convincingly then having kind of ted raimi as the beating heart of the piece is probably not a bad idea yeah and nicotero worked on evil dead too so this this lands pretty nicely to be honest like i mean like i i wasn't really sure at all what i was going to make of it when it started but when i realized what it was doing and who was involved i was like yeah i'd be surprised if this doesn't work yeah. Um, and it does mostly. So um, yeah, more promising start, I would say. Um, it's probably single-handedly better than any one episode of the first series. Oh wow! Okay. Because I'm actually just I'm just kind of thinking it was only on reflection there that I realised that I actually got a decent amount out of both of the segments. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kind of I'm more optimistic about what's going on there. Next week's episode has uh, segments that are directed by uh, Greg Nicotero again. But also um, Axel Carlin. Oh, yeah. So feeling okay about that. But yeah, that was my uh, view in this week. So uh, did you manage to get any side questing done? I did. Uh, we've talked a lot, so I'm just going to quickly mention back to 1972 for frogs. So nature of the amphibian persuasion this week. Well, you would think, wouldn't you? But uh, it's not just <laughs> frogs, which, uh, okay. which is crazy. Uh, there's all sorts of tiny terrors involved in this so to call it frogs is a little bit misleading because there are frogs Uh, if there wasn't frogs it would be preposterous but uh, (laughs) there's more animals killing there's more little creatures killing people than just frogs Um, Sam Elliott's in this okay which is pretty cool this one's fine pretty strong conservation message in here too okay cool right yeah yeah Yeah, but uh, yeah pretty fun not the worst not the worst and if you put on the poster that's right (laughs) 
So, yeah. Do, 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 do. What have they been saying? Uh, a decent amount this week. Uh, feedback, once again. Big thank you to everybody that's been getting in touch. And uh, a lot of it, unsurprisingly, on the subject of Nightmare City, which we covered this week. Loads of people very excited about this Andy vs. Mitch episode. Um, Fearless getting in touch saying, I think this is a genuinely scary film. The effects are great. And also, uh, Binding LV, uh, Laura on Twitter saying, Run, zombies, run. Great stuff. Yeah. Andrew Barron, how I have dreamed Strong Violent PC would one day cover Nightmare City finally the nightmare becomes reality uh, also darren gaskell what's more of an entertainment juggernaut than it's all music uh, <laughs> strong violent pc of course in the new episode andy and mitch invoke emergency plan h and take a look at umberto Lindsay's nightmare city good knowledge of nightmare city there good knowledge uh-huh. a couple of strong references there yep and saltard popcorn kevin matthews saying no work today yay uh, also anyone who is enjoying a long weekend i hope it's going swimmingly uh, no commute time to listen to Strong Violent PC, but I made time for it anyway. What? Good what man. trooper? Uh, Nightmare man. City is ridiculous and entertaining and wonderful and has a terrible final twist. Um, I don't care for your opinion, Kevin, on that final <laughs> twist. I think out of all the times in entertainment that that has been the final twist in anything, this is the best. <laughs> uh, I have a major soft spot for it. Loved the conversation. Thank you, sir. Very good indeed. Uh, quick hello as well to uh, Andre Martin's uh, Callahan, who got in touch off the back of this episode with a more general comment. Uh, simply saying, honestly, Andy makes stuff does the Lord's work, introducing who else but Mitch to wonderfully obscure old Grindhouse Madness. Well, that's kind of what I said in the episode. Uh, I, I feel like I'm doing a service in a way to bring these things to your attention before you would naturally get to them. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that we can now proceed on the assumption that I'll get to most things eventually. It'll just probably be far closer to when I die. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, getting to them in an accelerated form is always a good thing. Away from Nightmare City, if you're done. Done with Nightmare City. I've got something else. Uh, okay, I have a couple of things as well. So let's say a quick look at Kim Morrison, Wicked Sister 69 getting in touch on Twitter. Hi, Kim. Uh, saying, it's too early in the morning for this Jennifer's Body slander on Strong Violent PC. Now, this is in reference to the fact that I caught up with Jennifer's Body, revisited it on Star uh, this past week. I don't think I was being slanderous at all. I thought I was being quite balanced. Yeah, and I, I did go back to Kim on that and, and, and try to kind of fight your corner. I don't really have a, a massive amount to say beyond the stuff that we touched on in in terms of the way Diablo Cody writes dialogue. I, I think Jennifer's body's great, and I think it has aged quite well, actually. Yeah, far, far better than I expected it to. But uh, yeah, maybe this is just one of those kind of holy grail films. I think that was the point that Kim was trying to make, that no yeah. matter what you say, even if it's slightly negative, you have crossed a line, sir, and uh, she will slap you down. Fair enough. But thank you, as always, for getting in touch, Kim. Good to hear from you. Yes. Anything else, Mitch? Yeah, just the one more. I wanted to say a quick hello to our old pal Zoe Smith, who gave us a uh, shout-out in a really cool article that she wrote about how horror fandom expands beyond simply watching films. Ah, thank you, Zobo. Uh, yeah, on Ghouls Magazine this week, uh, she gave us a mention in good company as well, alongside uh, Mitch Harrod and the Soho Horror Festival, uh, Evolution of Horror, and also, of course, indie horror titan provocateur Sam Ashurst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sam. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Mitch, did you hear uh, Evolution of Horror's April Fool's episode? The Frail Loop. Yeah. Uh, yes, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yep. Far I, be I... it from me to sit here and say to other people, listen, go and listen to another podcast right now. Uh, I'm going to say you could do a lot worse than go to listening to the Evolution of Horror's April Fool's episode because it is brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Everyone, everyone should check that out. Yeah, I've got one more thing here, and uh, this okay. is going out to... They've been very quiet over the past few weeks, and I have been uh, tagging them in a lot of posts lately. 
uh, because I mentioned something on the show a couple of weeks ago and it has inspired a lot of our listeners to go out and seek out these delicious snacks. <laughs> so this message is going out directly to Snyders of Hanover, creators... <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> creators of the unbelievably tasty and Moorish pretzel bites. Yes, I now, remember these. I love the jalapeno ones. I'm actually ambivalent to the other flavours, but the jalapeno ones are crack to me. I love them with all my heart. I think also does Chris Salt, who has got in touch with a photo of the bag of jalapeno uh, pretzel bites. And uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there because I was looking at the bag. But uh, Chris just saying, you guys need to look at sorting yourselves out with some kind of sponsorship. I would love that. See, even if Snyder's a Hanover just sent me a Snyder's a Hanover t-shirt, I know you can get them online but i'm loath to buy them when we are doing so much work for snyder's a hangover i think that's fair they're saying that you're ambivalent to all the other items in the range might do your case some harm no i i think if i'm pushing the jalapeno flavor so so hard the jalapeno flavor might not be everybody's bag in fact me telling people that the jalapeno flavor is in fact the superior flavor might encourage people who perhaps like the the, the kind of honey one i think it's honey and something mustard or something like that i don't know it might encourage them to try the jalapeno one and, and, and then they might be like, wow, wow. You never know. Because never they're know. fucking brilliant. Snyder's of Hanover, do not stop. By the way, uh, this was this segment was not paid for by Snyder's of Hanover. <laughs> no, it was not. It was paid for by our poor, long-suffering patrons. <laughs> and I watched your face just get longer and longer as I talked at length about pretzel bites there. So <laughs> I totally apologies. forgot you could see me. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Unmaskable contempt. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's once again time for Mitch's Pitches. And Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. Yes. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to a phone. It will be a poster from our phone from years gone by. We'll photoshopped out the tile and the tagline and left only the image. It will fall to me to give the image a title and a synopsis as well as describing it to the best of my ability. We'll put that image on social media so you guys can join in, which we did last week and a whole load of you did mm-hmm. for a virgin among the living dead reappropriated by me as first time dire property ladder to hell lovely yes indeed now uh, a lot of people getting in touch on this one so again we can't really read them all but uh, I have thinned down uh, to what I think is some of the kind of cream of the crop almost everybody without exception going for things that were far more x-rated than mine (laughs) <laughs> the image alone lends itself to it. It really does. So, Facebook first then and James Rodriguez. After a long spell of trouble with guys, single lady Drapes Matcher has worried she'd spend her life alone. That may not be for long as a vicious horde of monsters arise from hell intent on slaughtering whoever they find. Drapes finds herself as part of this horrendous ordeal as the only gateway which can send the monsters back lies between her legs. <laughs> Jesus, James. I really don't... I don't oh, I'm not sure about this. Carry on, Mitch. Go on, push through. <laughs> Can't be that bad, he talked about Smegma before. Can this onslaught of terror be stopped by a clitoral twat? It's 1982's Volva of Hell, it's meat curtains for you. <laughs> there you go. Kevin Matthews then, 70s erotica icon Chesty Wonderbra stars in this strange horror outing that sees her discovering the ability to birth a variety of terrifying creations from her evil sex bumps. Buried by distributors after they were successfully sued by Wes Craven, it's 1979's The Hills Have Boobs. <laughs> right, okay. Eleanor Jackson, tired of being objectified in her work at the British Museum, chastity swellings secretly swipes <laughs> an enchanted pair of Neolithic knickers, once tasked with protecting the virtues of a barbarian queen. But when an unusually heavy flow interacts with the precious prehistoric pantaloons, her tightening talisman gets a taste for necrotic <laughs> flesh. And 
And Chastity's Lady Flower becomes a glowing magnet for the bloody and the banished as her hunger for violence increases. Ancient exhibits come to life and the dead rise from their graves just to be with her, but Chastity fights for her cravings, fights for her life, and above all, fights for her modesty. In 1977's exquisite exhibit, The Dick Diorama of Death, Wow, that's really great. More from Eleanor, please. Uh, yes, agreed. Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter, an extremely lifelike sex doll haunted by the restless spirits of its previous owners, all <laughs> whom died mysterious and painful deaths, end up in the hands of a necromancer keen to hold the world's weirdest orgy. It's Dolly Dankest, a night at Dr. Kink's Kinky Castle. <laughs> Laura, it's sacrifice night at Franco Manor as unwitting heroine Femme Finale fights off cult leader Kent Variant <laughs> and his cheerfully evil followers. Will she come up on top in 1981's sexploitation horror Ojos Rojos, retitled in the UK as Splurging Among the Living Dead? Uh, okay, I love that Laura knew exactly what the film was and based it all around that. Yes, very strong. Laura and Ashley Carter, the 1982 silent film Boo Kaki was the first and oh, final film sake. by director Giovanni Vanni. Martha <laughs> McGillicutty stars as girl in this experimental masterpiece. Tony Antonio's orchestral <laughs> rendition of Monster Mash seamlessly loops for the film's 220 minute runtime. <laughs> I'd rather watch that than Zack Snyder's Justice League. And Bill Carr, sadistic wankerous, silky afterthought, terrorises a house full of shy and sexually repressed ghouls with the sight of an undercarriage and Herman Ofterschwang's Das Vulva Trauma. <laughs> well, uh, best pitch to Eleanor Jackson and uh, best Fair. character name has to go to silky afterthought. Silky afterthought. I was torn between that and Kent Variant. Which Do you know what? Fun. I thought Kent Variant was great as well. So let's just give both Bill and Laura nothing. Okay, so Bill, Laura, and Eleanor are winners mm. this week. A big well done to all of you. Congratulations. Um, so, my turn then. Yeah, you ready? Oh, go on. Right, okay. It should be with you now ish. Something a little fun this week. Yeah, a little bit more lighthearted. Um, okay, yeah, I can do this. Um, okay, no border to this image. The background is kind of like a night sky, so it's like a light blue into a darker blue, top to bottom. We are in a cemetery. There are some trees and some gravestones. That's my, uh, that's my, uh, that's, those are the clues. Those are the cemetery red flags that I've spotted. What we have here then is, uh, we're focusing on a gravestone, the text from which I am assuming has been removed. A hand is bursting from the grave with a kind of studded leather kind of bracelet, if you like. I, I guess gauntlet is what that is. Yeah, gauntlet, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, which is uh, yeah, it's like studded and spiked. Um, holding aloft a red electric guitar, kind of got a little bit of an Ibanez look about it. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that. It's got that or a kind of ESP headstock going on there. Yeah. Either way, I think we're very much in the realms of metal here. Um, <laughs> It is uh, surrounded by uh, various ghoulish paraphernalia. Two green hands, some cobwebs, some stones, a skull, a couple hands. of rats. Oh, yeah, three green hands, right enough. Yeah, good eye. And uh, also an entire skeleton that appears to be kind of like peeking up over the side of uh, this kind of raised piece of ground that this gravestone's on. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's yeah. just about it. I think that that's just about all the key points there. So that is um, a gauntleted hand holding a conventionally heavy metal guitar bursts from a grave as uh, skeletons, rats, and green hands look on. Fair. Yep, yep. I uh, can't really think of anything else that might go there. Happy to proceed if you are. Alright, yeah, cool. Let's do it. Andy, what are you eating over there? Oh, nothing, Mitch. It's just, uh, what are these called? Oh, these are, uh, Snyder's a Hanover. 
jalapeno pretzel bites. Never had them before, but let me tell you, they are delicious. Andy, would you say that there's a party in your mouth and everyone's invited? I would, I would. They've got an incredibly... There's a lot of flavour going on. Every bite is... Every bite a delight. Oh, wow! <laughs> what I would say is that they're available pretty much anywhere that has, like, a world food section. So your big supermarkets, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Morrison's, you'll find them there. But wow. you don't get them in an Asda, because I've got an Asda right next to me and they don't sell them. <laughs> Outstanding. Good, good. So that's Snyder's of Hanover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, we interrupt these advertisements to bring you some content. Um, I love that no one wants to actually advertise with us, so we just make up our own for things that we like. Yeah, we've literally had one advert in our entire uh, 300 plus episodes, so we're just going to start doing our own for things that we like in the hope that we get free things. Mmm, <laughs> crumbles, coconut macaroons. <laughs> Anyway, I need to have something here. <laughs> good, good. The year is 1984, and rising stadium rock upstart Serpent's Appendage are on a fast track to superstardom. <laughs> As their nationwide tour as opening act for industry legends Covenant of Cardinality gets underway, the young band's mighty riffs and huge harmonies steal the show, with Covenant's fans finding their energetic and outrageous live shows beginning to edge out the veterans' diminishing stamina. Driven to the brink by jealousy, COC frontman Davey Nave cuts the brakes on Serpent's Appendage's tour bus, and their journey to Death Valley, California for the final night of the tour is horribly derailed with a crash that appears to kill kill all of the band in their entourage. Safe in the knowledge his legacy of hedonistic hard rocking is intact, Davy heads to the venue, blissfully unaware that Serpent's Appendage's meteoric rise to stardom wasn't just the result of sweet solos and furious falsetto. They made a deal with the devil for eternal life and fame and fortune, on the condition that they must play the worst music in the world for all eternity. Back from the dead and hell-bent on revenge, the undead meddlers head for the city with revenge in mind. Can Davy save himself and his bandmates, or are they on a highway to hell? Find out in 1984's blood-soaked rock opera, Night of the Living Shred. Right, sure. Okay. Uh-huh. What year did you say? 1984. Oh, one year out, my friend. Oh, swinging a narrow miss. Unlike me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cool. Okay. Uh, so what is this then? The year is 1985. Okay. And okay. the film? Hard Rock Zombies. Hard Rock Zombies. Okay, many questions, most notably of which. What's it about and who's synopsisizing? Uh, I think this might be a new synopsisizer. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. D.A. Kellogg? Heir to the Breakfast Fortune. Uh, new uh, name on me. Uh, cool. Uh, not ringing any bells for me either. Synopsis is as follows. <clears throat> a hard rock band travels to the tiny and remote town of Grand Guignol to perform. <laughs> Peopled by hicks, ribs, werewolves, murderous dwarves, sex perverts and Hitler. The town is a strange place, but that doesn't stop the band's lead singer from falling in love with a local girl named Cassie. After wow. Nazi sex perverts kill the band to satisfy their lusts, <laughs> Cassie calls the rockers back from the grave to save her, the town, and maybe the world. Oh my goodness, okay. Uh, God, that just kept getting better and better. Have you seen this? Uh, no, no, but I, I, I can see from the poster that it's a canon film, so you can fucking rest assured that I will watch it. <laughs> good, good, pleased to hear it. Um, uh, it's not on Amazon Prime. That's disappointing. Yeah, I have to dig a little deeper to find that one. Uh, that concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. That image, of course, as always, is everywhere. So uh, get in touch, join in on the fun, see if you can be a winner like Bill, Laura and Eleanor this week. Yeah, yeah, well done, guys. 
Streaming platforms then, no shortage of stuff this week, i got to say, across the board. Um, so Amazon Prime first. On Friday, we have got the new series Them. Oh yeah, another anthology for you, Mitch. Yes, so from uh, breakout creator Little Marvin and executive producer Lena Waithe, Them explores terror in America. The 1950s set first season centers on a black family who moves from North Carolina to an all-white Los Angeles neighborhood during a period known as the Great Migration. The family's idyllic home becomes ground zero when malevolent forces next door and otherworldly threaten to taunt, ravage and destroy them. Jesus. Now TV then, Monday the 5th, big one, all three seasons on Sky Comedy, Wellington Paranormal. Yes! What we do in the Shadows spin-off series here, follow police officers Karen and Mike as they keep New Zealand safe from the unexplained and the unexplainable. I've only seen the first season of this and the premiere of season two, courtesy of Celluloid Screams. Uh, absolutely hilarious. This like, is fucking brilliant guys i don't care what comes after this this is the pick of the week find it hunt it down it's amazing yeah i'd be inclined to agree it's my and like having seen the rest of the list because i compiled it it is pick of the week um on saturday on sky cinema archery enemy adam mortimer's follow-up to daniel wasn't real follows a mm. disheveled alcoholic named max fist who claims to be a superhero from the planet chromium no one listens except a teenager named hamster who can't get enough of his stories when Hamster and his sister get in trouble with a drug syndicate led by the manager, Max takes to the street as a brutal vigilante, hellbent on proving himself as the hero no one believes him to be. You were kind of 50-50 on this, right? Uh, yeah, the more I think about it, the less I actually liked it. Yeah. Worth watching for Paul Shear? Yeah, I mean, but that's not enough. That's not enough to draw you to draw you for this, really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. It's it's fine. Okay. On Sunday, the 11th, uh, also on Sky Cinema, uh, one I'll probably check out, uh, Death of Me from uh, Darren Lynn Bowsman. Oh, aye. Uh, a dream vacation in the South Pacific becomes a torturous nightmare and is high-stakes horror from Darren Lynn Bowsman. Christina Neal, played by uh, Maggie Q and Luke Hemsworth, awake on their dream vacation with a hangover and no recollection of the night before. The only clue to the horrors that transpire is a tape of Neil killing Christine what starts as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival <laughs> that note was not in there I added it um, uh, Netflix doesn't really have anything a few things coming in the weeks after that sure. and I guess last week with it being the first of the month they had a big content drop then uh, Monday the 5th then on Shudder uh, John Evernall's Baskin yeah this has been doing the rounds for a while of course but always nice to have another way to see it police officers investigate a disturbance during a night shift and begin a bleak descent into hell this is good as well that's brilliant yeah also on Monday zombie for sale when a pharmaceutical company's illegal experiments inadvertently create a zombie the strange park family finds it and tries to profit from it this is pretty good I haven't seen it but I've, it's one of those ones that I've been kind of dancing my mouse over for a little while or my controller buttons I suppose uh, on the Arrow player because it's uh, I know Arrow put it out in the UK so it's one that I've considered watching for a while recommend yeah I thought it was alright I caught it at a festival I can't remember which one I think it was maybe Fright Fest Glasgow also on Thursday on Shudder um, a Shudder original The Power directorial debut of Corinna Faith in London in 1974, as Britain prepares for electrical blackouts to sweep across the country, trainee nurse Val arrives for her first day at a rundown hospital. With most of the staff and the patients evacuated, Val works virtually alone in the near-empty building. Within these walls lies a deadly secret, forcing Val to face her own traumatic past and deepest fears to confront the malevolent force intent on destroying everything around her. Mm-hmm. And of course, also on Thursday on Shudder, we have got, as previously mentioned, Season 2, Episode 2 of Creepshow, Creep with segments directed by Axel Carolyn. And Greg Nicotero. Lovely. So that's your lot for this week, without a doubt. Wellington Paranormal is your shout. But if you're looking for something a little bit more serious and a little bit more nightmare-inducing, then you could do a lot worse than Baskin as well. Yeah, Baskin. So, turning our attention to this week's show then, and we did say that we were going to put this out. Yeah. Um, And we are men of our word. As it turns out, the audio is salvageable. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last week a few of you joined us for a live episode at the Soho Horror Festival Shockdown Saturdays event the guest of course it was his night 
<laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, you know him from Dementia Part 2, Beyond the Gates, Contracted Phase 2, a whole bunch of other stuff, and also the Ravenous and Halloween 6 episodes of this show. It is a huge warm welcome back to Matt Mercer. Yeah, delighted to have Matt back, and all three of us, powered by beer and whiskey and wine, talked The Howling 3. The Howling 3, the marsupials in the company of Matt Mercer. So, uh, if you were there, then you can relive it in audio form um, this Friday. If you missed out on it, then you've got a chance to catch up. If you want to get in touch with us about anything that we've talked about this week, then you can do through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email Scenes at gmail.com. And you can, of course, join in the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Amazing. Thanks, Mitch. And patrons, I know that we didn't put out an episode last week. We are putting out two this week. We will also be getting in touch with the winner of our Patreon competition. That winner will be recording an episode with me and Mitch, which will go out as a Patreon exclusive. Absolutely. We have also had a couple of ideas for new things to try um, for Patreon stuff. Uh, Yeah, some of it is quite silly. Some of it kind of interesting and kind of fun. So we might be trialing some new stuff over the next little while. Keep your eyes on your feet. However, this Friday, we are back in the main feeds. We are talking The Howling 3, The Marsupials with Matt Mercer live from the Soho Horror Festival. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chance. Goodbye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.